So perhaps you have heard some of these statements. If you want, if you don't want to be treated like a child, then don't act like a child. Yes, you've heard the statement before. Okay, good. Uh, have you heard act your act your age? Yes, you've heard that one too. All right. Uh, this this one uh, you may not have heard, but honey, you're in middle school. Yes, you need to take a shower. Uh, perhaps you've hold, heard this one. If I've told you once, I've told you. There it is. Uh, my wife and I have raised over 20 children, and my wife, Angel, uh, and I have raised over 20 children. We fostered um, 22 kids. We have three of our own. We have a couple of grandkids that are precious. Um, and the conversation apparently remains the same. Uh, and the classic, if, you, if your friends jump off a bridge... Yes, that's exactly right. Uh, we recognize that uh, all these, because uh, we are parents or we've had parents that actually care about us or adults who care about the development of the youth that, uh, th- that, uh, that's in their lives. And so they want to speak in their lives. They want them to grow into mature adults capable of, capable of being able to live in society, be a productive member, and taking care of not only themselves but also of other people. We read uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talking to disciples and telling them to pray that they not fall into temptation. What temptations are ahead of them? Uh, I would posit for you that they are going to be tempted to be childish, not to be confused with being childlike. They're going to be tested and everything that they have learned, on everything they've learned over the past three years they've walked side by side with Jesus. They've walked side by side with Jesus. So the question is, will they pass the test? Let that sink in. They were in the very presence of God, and he is telling them to pray because he knows what's next for them, and he knows that they don't realize it. He knows that for them, they are too mature to even be aware. They are sleeping while Jesus is weeping. They've just come off the heels of the triumphal entry, the palm branches waving, the people proclaiming, the king has arrived. And in their mind, they're thinking, the king who is going to finally overthrow Rome and Israel will be back on top. That's what they're thinking, right? And the crowd, as a crowd, and probably the disciples are celebrating, Jesus is weeping. He desperately wants nothing more than the people of Jerusalem to understand what's going to happen in their future. They are in the very presence of the Lord, but are so blind by their own maturity and their own immediate needs. They can't see that they are missing what's actually going on. They can't see the big picture. Perhaps they too, even while they're celebrating, are actually sleeping. They think that they are going to finally win, that this is it. This is the final countdown. Meanwhile, Judas is sneaking behind everyone's back, except for Jesus. Can you imagine being that awake? 
Can you imagine being so self-aware that you know who the people are that are going to deny you? You know the people who are going to literally stab you in the back. And you're eating dinner with them and smiling and loving them, still loving them. Jesus. I can see Jesus riding in on the donkey, and I can see him dining with the disciples at the Last Supper, and his face is set like a flint, eyes focused on the future while also being very present, stoic, resolved. Resolve that maturity demonstrated is uh, resolve is uh, that maturity demonstrated is choosing obedience, even in the face of death. Death on the cross. Maturity is choosing to die for those who deserted you at your very hour of need. Maturity is weeping while your mates are sleeping, and this weeping is under duress. It's stressed. He's stressed in his obedience. It's stressed to the point of breaking blood vessels. Stressed to the point of sleeplessness. Stressed and yet committed. And something broke in Jesus. Something broke in him. Something switched. In that moment of stressed-induced sleeplessness, this term hematidrosis means that you're so stressed that your sweat is mixed with broken blood vessels. Jesus does what we should all do. He prays. He finds comfort in the Lord. He prayed. He knew what was coming, and like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, he's silent. But there is this hope that maturity brings, even in the face of insurmountable odds, and that hope is what Jesus has his eyes fixed upon. I could go on. Imagine being blindfolded, beaten, and taunted. No, really. Imagine being blindfolded and being beaten and mocked at the same point. Who hit you? Was it me? Who hit you? Who do you think hit you that time? That's what Jesus is going through. He's being tortured. That's not a word that we use in reference to Jesus' sufferings, but that's exactly what he was going through. Jesus was being tortured for our sake. And he was silent when it mattered. Jesus had the maturity to do the hard thing for a long time in the same direction, unwavering. We recognize the maturity of Jesus, and to be honest, it's hard to always identify with him, at least at that level of maturity. Yes? Anyone else find that a little difficult to identify with? Like, yes, I don't know if I do that. Am I the only one? Oh, okay, I'm just checking. You guys are all there. All right. So we probably more identify with Peter and the other disciples, right? Sleeping while Jesus is weeping. There's, a, there's an author, Dr. Eric Geiger. He wrote a book, The Simple Church. He wrote lots of books, but this one talks about maturity and some of the signs of a childish 
Christian. So I'm going to give you three of these. Uh, Number one, a childish Christian can't help others. Just as a baby can only be helped and cannot help others, a childish Christian continually consumes without ever contributing. A mature Christian does both, continuing to feast on the good news of Jesus and the encouragement of others while simultaneously serving as Christ has served him or her. That's number one. Number two, a childish Christian creates division. Children can fight over the most meaningless things. Yeah? And so do childish Christians. A divisive Christian is an immature Christian. A divided church is an immature church. When the Apostle Paul called the Christians in Corinth childish and carnal, he illustrated their carnality by pointing out that they were uniting around their favorite apostle and not Christ. Number three, a childish Christian displays gifts, gifts without grace. Just because someone uses their gifts to serve others doesn't mean that they use their gifts with grace. It's possible for ministry leaders to grow ministries with their, while their hearts are growing cold. Gifts can be on display while the fruit of the Spirit is not. And this is a sign of a childish Christian. And don't we see that in Peter? Peter can't help others. He can't come to the rescue of Jesus because he's too consumed with his own fear. Three times denying Jesus before the rooster crows. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's that learning part that I often hear people leave out when they talk about that passage. They always say, take my yoke. Jesus says, take your yoke, take his yoke upon you. And his burden is easy and his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And they always leave out the learn from part. When we think about uh, kind of an agrarian lifestyle, you have an older uh, cow, cattle, that would be yoked with a younger one. And the older one would teach the younger one how to plow, how to do the work. Are we yoked with Jesus? And are we learning from him? Peter decides that swordplay or violence is the solution. But in fact, Jesus said, Blessed or blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. There's a, a, there's a distinct difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Peacekeepers avoid conflict. Peacekeepers are like, if you're okay, I'm okay. Let's just tolerate each other. Right? That's what a peacekeeper does. I don't want to make any waves. That's what peacekeepers do, right? Like, are we good? You good? I'm good. You good? We're good? I'm good. You good? Are we good? Is everybody good? You're good? You're good. That's a peacekeeper. A peacemaker sees violence and goes in and brings peace. Peacemakers are not conflict averse. Peacemakers go, you know what? I am full of the Prince of Peace. Jesus Christ. And so I bring peace with me into this chaos, just like Jesus did when he came from earth and became incarnate and became man. 
He came into our chaotic world and brought peace. Yeah? Peter wants to be present. He wants to use his gift of presence. He wants to be close enough to see what's going on, but not actually engage. He has a form of godliness, but 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 is denying its power. We can do that. We can be present in a room or present in a community and be completely oblivious to what's going on. So we're present, but completely consumed with whatever we have that we're thinking about, what we want to do, and not actually use our gift of presence to bring God's presence. We who are parents and teachers and we who are friends of young adults, young adults or young believers, want them to mature. We want to see them grow. And I believe that's why Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, starting in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's a directive, right? To a young church, one that Paul is looking to mature, Jesus has laid the blueprint laid the foundation, and we who are empowered by the Holy Spirit are able to follow it. We who are empowered by the Holy Spirit are able to follow the blueprint that Jesus has laid out. That's important to note. That's why I repeat it myself. If you've given over your will to the Lord, if Jesus is not just your Savior, but also your Lord, then you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this directive that's found in Philippians, which is have this mind among yourselves. This is a group dynamic, a body of Christ dynamic, one that requires humility being of one mind. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis. Serving others because you realize you already have everything you need in the Lord. So you're free to serve other people. And here comes the hard part. You ready? God asks for obedience over sacrifice. Sacrifice is when we call the shot. Sacrifice is when we choose where we're going to go, when we're going to go, what we're going to do, who we're going to see, what we're going to say, how much we're going to spend. We're calling the shots. That's sacrifice. Obedience. Obedience is, well, we are answering to our higher power. Jesus is Lord, and he says, go do those things, and we go and do them. Regardless of the cost, regardless of the time that it takes, 
regardless if it even means our lives. We do this Bible study on on Tuesday mornings uh, at the cafe. It started with just one guy. He came and said, Herb, I want to study the Bible. And I said, that's great. Meet me Tuesday morning about 8 o'clock, and we'll sit down and we'll go through. I'd love a good Bible study, right? So we sat down. We kind of had some cursory overviews. And the next Tuesday morning, we're sitting down about to dig in, and someone walks by and says, what are you guys doing? We're, we're studying the Bible. He said, can, we, can I join you? I said, yeah, sure. This is two years ago. Now there are 30-plus people. Last Tuesday were 32 people sitting around the table, everyone from 16 years old to a 92-year-old 90, woman who drove herself to the, she took the back roads, but she drove herself <laughs> to Bible study. And it's this dynamic that's phenomenal. We do a, a study, uh, we use a historical grammatical uh, pattern of looking at the, the scriptures. So we look at the history of the text first, who it was written to, who wrote it, what the dynamic was that they were dealing with at that time. And then we look at how it affects the church universal, how it affects the people who are sitting around the table, how it affects the church, the Catholic church, small c, right? And then finally, the third way we look at it is how does it affect me? What, is it, what do I do with this passage? How do I process this? How is the Holy Spirit spoken through the text and give me directions, a directive on what I should do next? So I met this young man probably two years ago now at Smalls Theater. There was a Christian concert there, and I met him, and I just, I, I loved this guy immediately. I was like, this, this dude's awesome. He's super excited, and so I invited him to come down to the cafe. He'd come for open mic night, and he was going through some stuff, and I said, why don't you come to the Bible study? So he shows up at the Bible study, and this young guy, he's in his late 20s. That's crazy. Late 20s is young. I'm... <laughs> Whew. Okay. Anyway, sorry, I'm getting up there in age. Uh, at one point, late. anyway, sorry. So he comes, and I invite him to the Bible study. Lord, forgive me. Um, and he shows up, and he's there, and he's sitting there, and we're in the they section of the Bible study where we're talking about the history of the Bible study, and he's interrupting with I statements. He's like, I don't get it. This doesn't make sense to me. And what about me? And what about me? And what about me? And we calm him down. Bible study's over. And I contact him later on in the week. I'm like, man, I want you to come back to the Bible study, but I really feel like the Lord is telling me to ask you to not speak. <laughs> it was God's directive, it wasn't mine. Let me tell you, that's uncomfortable. I mean, as uncomfortable as it is for to be in a Bible study where everyone's talking and not talking, it's also uncomfortable for me to tell him that, right? I'm telling this guy to, to shut up in a Christian way. And he, don't use that. When the Lord told me to tell you that you need to be quiet, don't, and don't say I said that either, don't you? Well, this pastor, this guy, and Herb said, really, I felt like the Lord was leading me to tell him that, honestly. And I could tell he was squirming in his seat. He was there, and he was gripping the edge of the table. He wanted to say something. 
And what he wanted to do, and what we realized, and what, I, what the Lord showed me was that he was using his voice to justify himself. It was about himself. Everything was about himself. He didn't have the ability to listen to other people and hear them. And so I began to pray because I saw him. He was just, oh, right? And he wrote on his notepad, I realize what my idol is. He said, I'm involved in self-worship. I don't know if he's going to come back. I don't know. I think it'd be great if he does come back. I talked to him, and he said, I'm not sure if this is what I want to do. Uh, I can tell he wants to run. And there's something about being in a group dynamic where people are being vulnerable, and they're letting the Lord use them, and they're checking in with God through the Holy Spirit, inspired passage, and they're being changed and transformed by it. And if you're in that kind of environment and you're not engaging, it's awkward for you. Right? That's awkward. Everyone else is being vulnerable and you're just kind of, I'm going to hold back. I'm just, I don't know if I want to say anything. And how dangerous is that? If you're going to mature, move from being spiritual infants to mature believers, if you're going to be who God sees you, to be, if you're going to have the same mind that Jesus has, then you're going to have to do some self-examination. You're going to have to wake up and find out what grieves the Lord. Immaturity says, what's in it for me? Maturity says, I'm provided for already. How can I help others? Immaturity says, this is too uncomfortable, even though it's the right thing to do. Maturity says, if it's the right thing to do, I'll do it. It doesn't matter how uncomfortable it is. So you have a choice to make. And the scripture is clear. Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. I pray the Lord shines on you today. Amen.